0: Lloyd and I are delighted here. We're going to entertain you. That's very, very exciting. we are planning on being super worthy and uptight. Um, Hello, everyone. Uh, uh, Really warm welcome to a conversation with Lloyd-Jones. I'm John Campbell. I'll be doing some of the conversing, and so will you, I hope. This feels like a really good space to have some questions in at the end. Um, So we'll we'll make that happen. Uh, It's a wonderful space. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Lloyd-Jones for coming, and, and for The Cage, and A History of Silence, Hand Me Down World, Mr. Pip, and on and on, back to the book of fame, which I'm delighted to say I'm on the front of. An original, evocative, and deeply moving story, John Campbell listener. What what, <laughs> what I wish I'd said is that I will still cherish 18 years from now. I might <laughs> like contact Penguin and sound to put that on. Um, uh, and all your celebrated books, which I suspect are... We in the room, I suspect everyone in the room knows your work and will have a particular favourite. Books which have a great compassion and the particular morality that comes from compassion. And this wonderful description you used in an interview with the New Zealand Herald in 2001, which in a way can't be bettered really. Quote, the best writing has the intimacy of a letter. It closes the distance between the reader and the words on the page. And you absolutely do, Lloyd. Did I say that? You did. It was bloody good, too. (laughs) Um, The book we're here to talk about today is The Cage, although we're going to to start on The Cage and devote a a, a significant amount of time to it, but maybe talk about some other stuff, too, if that's all right. Um, And on page 21 of my edition of The Cage at the bottom, two strangers who have arrived in town from where, why, with what purpose, Uh, walking, walking as if there is nothing else to do, the way Vladimir and Estragon wait. Of course, people often compare this to Kafka, but uh, for me, it's got a lot. It it has good shades of Beckett, I think. Yes. Yes. It really does. Anyway, uh, they arrive finally, quote, outside a house with its flickering sign, all welcome, outside a hotel, sorry. The lies we tell when we are civilised because who will call us on them? The second half of the Australian national anthem, for example, contains the lines for those who've come across the seas with boundless planes to share. Does Peter Dutton sing those (laughs) words? Did the Australian Parliament sing them in 2001 before its bipartisan support, Labor and the Coalition for what was called the Pacific Solution, transporting asylum seekers no matter what they had fled, no matter how legitimate their refugee claims to detention centres on island nations in the Pacific Ocean. I've been to Christmas Island. It is a sobering experience. Or the Pledge of Allegiance in the US, which is only 31 words long and ends with the promise of liberty and justice for all, but does not add, unless you're covered by Donald Trump's executive order from January 2017, which suspended the entry of immigrants and visa holders from seven majority Muslim countries, suspended all refugee admissions, and banned Syrian refugees indefinitely, full stop. These aren't people, these are animals, Donald Trump said in May of this year. So depending on where you're from and who's defining it, you can be diaspora or colonizer or discoverer or expat or settler or missionary or immigrant or animals. Now in 2015, Lloyd Jones and his partner arrived at the Kaleti railway station in Budapest. Somewhere in the region of three to four thousand refugees from the Syrian Civil War were camping there, although In New Zealand, that word camping is too redolent of childhood holidays, I think. They were stuck there, trapped with nowhere to go, and no one much interested in them. Ignored, but in those circumstances, being ignored isn't neutral. It's incitement to decay, to rot, to cease uh, anything other than a base and demeaning survival, to be diminished, to be made less, and having been made less, to be treated accordingly. The cage arose from that, that experience in the EU three years ago, 2015. Uh, All were not welcome. This is a willfully shocking book. The author aims to displease straight away. Chapter two begins and we are only on page eight. It is such a lovely summer morning. Summer is dragging on, which which is something the strangers should be grateful for. Mole is shitting at the rear of the cage where the soil is well dug over. It's a fantastic book. And I read it when it, when it came out and, and I loved it but found it confronting and tough. And as I've been preparing for this, I've been reading it and rereading it and rereading it. And to anyone who found it uh, tough and uh, wasn't sure what to make of it, I, I really recommend going back to it. It rewards the return trip. And I now... Uh, regard it as uh, right up there with your very, very finest works, Lloyd. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is wonderful to be with you to discuss this, and it is particularly wonderful to be able to discuss it with the author, Lloyd-Jones.
1: I only heard a little bit of that, John. Oh, I, was, <laughs> I, I, well, I was sitting behind you and I couldn't quite, but there were some nice things you said, I think. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Can you, you can all, can you all
0: hear, can you all hear us? Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Can you describe the scene at the Kaliti Railway Station?
1: Yeah, Um, well, um, it's a a central station, main station in Budapest, and um, the way I, well, we arrived uh, to that station was through the underground, and there was a series of escalators that you caught up to the main concourse. And... um, As one got closer to the main concourse, you you could smell something that was identifiably human but I had not smelt before Um, um, because we're we're, we're so used to having showers every day and and so on, but we're animals, of course, and of course these people were called animals. by Victor Orban and, and various people. But that was the first confrontation before I'd even seen them. I smelt people, which I'd never done before. Um, and then it turned a corner and there was just this vast, vast population. Of people, uh, you know, they had cardboard cartons that they had squashed down into, they flattened them out and they were, they were little sort of rafts, little families, clusters stuck on these, on these rafts of cardboard. And the women, and talk about dignity, the women had domesticated the space, and they would, had brooms, and they were sweeping around the edges of the, of the cardboard. It was extraordinary. They'd been there probably four or five days, which is a hell of a long mm. time already, if you can imagine sleeping out in a railway station. These people, by the way, they had tickets. Um, you consider their journey. They had, they had walked from Syria to Turkey, um, taken boats across the Aegean, wound their way up through Greece and Bulgaria and found their way to Budapest, and then they were going to catch a train to Germany. And they were held up by Viktor Orban because he wanted to make political capital out of these people. And he had them on a technicality. He said, according to European Union rules, people have to be registered at their first place of landing, which these people haven't. But the ghastly thing about it, John, is is, is seeing... um, how ready, uh, or the readiness of politicians to make political capital out of people who, no one's standing behind them. There's no institution behind them. There's nothing standing behind them. There's no one fighting their corner. And how helpless and desperate that situation is.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible form of helplessness. A, a, and,
1: and then
0: you wait for the whistleblowers, don't you? Then you wait for the uprising of of good and decent and ordinary people who Mm. say, this is not who we are. And it didn't really happen, did it, in Hungary?
1: No, it didn't. Uh, And I read a piece in the New York Times some months after I was there claiming that many people had helped them. Um, And I have to say, I didn't see any instances of that, except one shopkeeper who enabled People to recharge their phones had a long line, you know, um, but just your ordinary people. Uh, the, the indifference was staggering, and and that actually um, is the reason why I wrote this book. How on earth do you arrive in this situation where you can become indifferent to the situation that these people were facing? And they were fantastic people. They were the dignity of these people was was amazing. I th- I think f- for me it's the
0: it, 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 because you deliberately don't tell us where the strangers have come from. You deliberately don't tell us what totalitarian regime they've fled from. And so it is the way that they end up in the cage and they are left there. And there's this, this extraordinary... Uh, I just think... Uh, yeah. Uh, beginning of chapter one. Lately, Doctor has taken to hugging himself and shivering. I understand the request. I put it through the proper channel... A week ago, the blankets should arrive any day now. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now forgive me, Christy, <laughs> for saying this, but for fuck's sake, they were beside the hotel. <laughs> you know, this. I mean, there's blankets yeah, yeah. in abundance, yeah. meters away. Yeah. And so, what we are reduced to is that kind of
1: indifference, isn't it? We find a language around that indifference. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, you, you mentioned the. One of the things about this is I, I wanted to bring the far near because we, we're always looking at these situations overseas and thinking, well, that's over there, that couldn't happen here. And one of the things about it's being described as a fable, it's not really, strictly speaking, it's an allegory. Um, but one of the things that um, that form uh, encourages is to put the psychological condition of the story ahead of place and the reader can supply all the details of place, They can, a reader can read the details of their own place back into that book. That was a key for me, really. So I, I really wanted to make a thing about, well, how how do we arrive at the situation of indifference? And what is the language around it? And what is it to be a witness? And all this sort of
0: thing. And to stop witnessing. In the end, mm. they actually stop going down and looking at the cage, don't they? Well, which, which is why sport is so important, because yeah.
1: his testimony is all they have. Yeah, well they can absolve themselves of any yeah. complicity and, and, and sort of responsibility if by not looking. They, all they have to do is cross the, ro- across the yeah. living room, yeah. look out the window and they can see the situation. But that means they're involved, they're engaged. Um, but the, it's better to be reliant on Sport who provides all the accounts of what's happening down there. Sport, by the way, is the nephew of the hotelier and he lives on the ground floor. And he has two places to, to observe them from his, his uh, basement window and the upstairs toilet window. Mm. Different perspective.
0: Yeah. And, and, and speaking of the toilet, and I know a lot of people point this, everyone points this out. There's no one who's read this book who doesn't say, by God, there's
1: a lot of shitting in that book. No, oh, there's a hell of a lot more shit in it in earlier drafts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the publishers beg me. And just, maybe even 10% less. You know? <laughs> Yeah. But,
0: but actually, that, that's, it's, for, for me as a device, it's profoundly powerful because if we leave people in that position, mm. yeah, that, I mean that's the point you're making, and, that, and the
1: smell in Budapest, right. Yeah, yeah, we have an, an abhorrence of, of that. You know, we've shared something as human beings, as human beings we think we are. You know, the veneer of civilize, the civilization has slipped by us when suddenly, all of us is revealed in that way you know, the whole ablutions and toiletry and all that sort of thing. You know, one of the things that dovetails through the book are excursions to the zoo where animals are on display, and we're used to going to the zoo and, you know, little kids will point out the enormous droppings of elephants and all this sort of thing. But we're never really part of that, but we are in this book. Mm. That's, that's, we're on the same level as those animals that have been observed in the zoo.
0: How do people take the allegory? Do people want you to do more work on their behalf? Do people
1: want you to join the dots more? I don't know. Um, I never like to join the dots. I like to leave a bit of white space mm. there. It's very important, I think, because I think the reader, I'm a firm believer in this, that readers actually complete the novel. You know, The novelist provides a few things, as you pointed out, the dots, um, but it's up to the reader to join them to some extent. And in, in this instance, particularly important for, for the reader to read their own circumstances back into the book. So, in a, in a funny sort of a way, um, place can be anywhere. And that's the, that's the great thing about a fable or an allegory. It lives everywhere. But if, if I had set this in Budapest, it would have been an entirely different book. Yes. Yeah, and it wouldn't have worked the same way at all. People have tried to guess where you set it. and you throw, I mean, you you cheeky. You throw out all sorts of... Well, it's Pocahokurianos. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Would, 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 we, would we do that? I asked myself that question. Um, and and I'm, the way we are right now as New Zealanders, I'm 100% certain we wouldn't. I only have to look at how Wellingtonians...
0: 100%.
1: I am 100%. I only only have to look at how Wellingtonians responded to the Christchurch earthquake. And I don't know, is anyone from Wellington here? Or was was anyone around 2011 around Pipitia Marai? There were long lines, long, long lines, Mm -hmm. and I was in them.
0: There's beautiful descriptions of that and Yeah, fantastic
1: yes, descriptions. We'll yeah. talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a case of people responding to the needs of other people. But other people who weren't strangers, right? N- well, uh, sort uh, of. Other, yeah, fellow uh, New Zealanders is a yeah. different different deal. But, so so yeah. if
0: the boats start arriving en masse, if mm. somehow they
1: made it across, so they made it down from Indonesia. Jesus, you'd, you'd recruit them for the America's Cup, wouldn't <laughs> you? <they? laughs> you know, you got across the Tasman Sea. Yeah. But the, the thing, what, what, the point I make, John, is... As we are now, as people know, I'm I'm 100% sure, it's not to say say we're better than the Hungarians in Budapest. The thing is, politicians uh, create an atmosphere. Viktor Orban made it possible for people to distrust these other people, made it perfectly acceptable for people to obstruct, to look the other way. He created the whole political atmosphere that made that possible. And he also created an atmosphere in which one did not speak out against that. Oh, right? yeah. No. No, absolutely not. You know, and we had that extraordinary situation where a state um, photographer, journalist, mm. do you remember that? I do, vividly. She sticks out, there's a yeah. man carrying a child running yeah. across a field and she sticks her, head, her foot out to foot trip this man. And you see him, he gets up from the ground, he's bewildered, he looks at this woman. Who are you? What on earth would have motivated you to do a thing like that? She probably couldn't answer that question herself. Yes, I've often thought, yeah. we, we, because we, that image was played over and over mm. and over, mm. she, and she
0: must have been confronted with that picture of herself. Yeah. And what would she have made of it? What would have been her internal rationalisation?
1: I remember at the station um, there was this doctor there, and there, was a, there was a baby that had just been born in the station. and. Uh, he he told the the mother of this this baby, you know, you can come back to our place and and, and stay with us, you know. He he actually was a Palestinian, this guy. He had married he was married to a Hungarian. He said he was going to cut up chop up his Hungarian passport after this. He, he was he was full of grand gestures and you know, but he had said uh, that some people had gone to the hospital in Budapest and the authorities at that hospital had. N- not trusted their own instincts. They'd rung somebody in the government to ask, what should we do? And they said, turn them away. I don't know if it's true, that's what he said. Wow. Yeah. But uh, it's an appalling, appalling situation to arrive at. I, I wondered if, 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 if you've been heading towards
0: this kind of book. I mean, Mr. Pip, the, 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 the visitation of, 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 of the brutal, mm. the, you know, the, Uh, But I I want to go back even further to Book of Fame, and and maybe you remember this, and maybe someone else has asked you this question. I I think I'm about to ask you a tremendously clever question, you'll think, John, you're person number 27 who's asked me that. But The All Blacks are beginning their trip home, right, Mm. after their tour. The first night out into the English Channel, a French tender met us off the coast of Sherbourne with 400 immigrants from mid-Europe. Someone said they were Russian. Someone else altered that to Jews. The third person mentioned Odessa, and it dawned on us that two stories had found each other. So you are putting Odessa Mm. in the Book of Fame. Yeah. And is this just growing, growing, the idea of the displaced, the idea of the inhumanity, the idea of people who are victims for no reason other than that's how the human race works? Well, that question
1: and observation has never been asked. <laughs> so you should have, that's um, the end of the but, session. It's been fantastic, <laughs> <laughs> but it's an excellent one, and I appreciate it because it comes from a very perceptive reader. Well, <laughs> uh, we don't live in isolation, and we're constantly sort of bumping up against other situations, other people, and and. When I was researching that book, um, and I'm, 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 I have some knowledge of the Pilgrims in Russia around this time, and, and, and then suddenly when it turns up in the newspaper, it's sharing the same newspaper as the, as the All Blacks, I thought that's pretty bloody extraordinary. And then to read this account, you know, that they, I can't remember if I made that up or not actually. Um, <laughs>
0: It's, it's, it's uh, the, 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 the program that, that you're referring to, probably.
1: Oh, no, that's happened. Uh, October but, but, yeah. 1905, right? yeah, 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 yeah. No, but the whole business about the being offloaded from one boat onto right, right, another, actually, right. I think I did read that, come to think of it, I wouldn't have been able to imagine. Yeah.
0: I just, yeah. I just um,
1: because if we
0: go to uh, Zura, Zura, is it in this? In Moldavia. Yeah, wow, that's <laughs> powerful. Holy yeah. moly, so here you are again with this extraordinary story of your wife's family. And you've got mm. there under completely false pretenses, mm. behaving mm.
1: like a journalist. Mm. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. uh, it's amazing uh, how, what the doors that will open if yeah, you, if you yeah. pass yourself off as a journalist. <laughs> I
0: always say journalism is like a get-into-jail-free card. <laughs> yeah. It's tremendous. Yeah. Anyway, this 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 old Jewish man. Oh, out right, to that meet guy. You. Yeah, yeah. And he and 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 to tell you the story of of the the the, the thread of your family, mm-hmm. and he, and he comes and tells the story of what took place in Zura. And and this is uh, forgive me for reading your work to you, but uh, uh, no one spoke while the old man closed his briefcase and stood to leave. No one moved as he w- made his way out of the gate. The Interpreter took hold of my arm. Any relative of your wife, she said, almost certainly drowned in the river. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, everything about that is slightly—that's absolutely what happened. That, that, that whole encounter. But the premise is not. No. Not real. No. You no. Know. Yeah. Um, but that old man—it was—he was—he was this broken-down, emaciated old man. And in that suitcase, there were all these newspaper articles about the various fronts he had fought at for the, the Soviet troops. And had he had he not fought for the Soviets, he would be dead. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So in his absence, while while he's fighting for the motherland, all his his um, his family had been killed, actually by Romanians, because Romania was just across, and the Romanians actually did a lot of the killing on behalf of the the Germans. Um, but yes, when you bump into 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 that, um, there was a much more sober encounter later on that day. I can't remember if I put it in the book or not. But we stopped um, by this field, uh, and it, ha- it was surrounded by this this um, uh, this wall, this stone wall, about the size of a football field, rugby field, and it undulated. And mm-hmm. in the house next door was a headmaster, and. I had an interpreter and uh, she knocked on the door and, and he came out. He told the story of this field. And during the war, this is this is near Kishinev where a lot of the pilgrims um, had happened, but during the Second World War, he um, had heard, he, he was just a boy, he and his mate had heard that the German, uh, not the German actually, the Romanians, Romanians were, were getting Jewish people in trucks and so on, driving them out here and disposing of them. And he, he and his friend cycled out there and hid in the bushes and watched. And it was just this dreadful scene, it was visceral. Um, he described, they all got drunk, the Romanian soldiers, they all got drunk. And he described how there were women with children, they told, told the, um, the women to hold up their babies like this. And they shot the babies first so the women could feel the blood of their baby, and then they shot the, 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 the woman and they toppled into this trench. And these, um, these undulation, undulating fields was, was basically a burial ground. And it's amazing just how landscape hides its sins, you know? Um, because without that knowledge, without meeting that guy, you would just be yeah. puzzled by a field. There's there's two recurring themes
0: in your work in that, but one takes me back to that lament of your mum's. I can't remember which book that's in. I think it's in history of science. It is. Uh, Man's and humanity (laughs) to man.
1: Oh yeah. Your mum used to say that all the time, didn't she? Yeah, tediously so. Yeah. Yeah, so, some new grotesque thing was happening on television and mum would gravely man's inhumanity to man. I think it was a way of her acquitting herself morally <laughs> <laughs> before she got up and made a cup of tea, I suspect, yeah. Except man yeah. with a capital M
0: makes us all composite, doesn't it? it does. I mean, that's in us. Yeah. That stuff's in us. My, yeah. my, my, my granddad, who, who lived in Sumner until only he died between the first and the second earthquake, and uh, he was a beautiful man. And he was, he was fought in the RAF, he, was, he, did a, 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 he survived a full tour doing uh, in Halifax's and Lancaster's. And, and he said that he, you know, he bombed Dresden. Mm. Yeah. Well, and he bombed Dresden because the Germans had to be stopped, but he still bombed Dresden. He bombed people in their bears. Mm-hmm. And he never, ever, ever stopped thinking about that.
1: No, no. Um, well, I'm pleased to hear that because many do, of course. Um, there are so many. Yeah, one part of part of the danger of partly this book's about the construction of other, and in wartime, of course, everybody is other, and we can do all sorts of terrible things to other. And um, but other really are people just like you and I, yeah, they are. you know, the mums and dads and kids and babies, orphans. Orphans, orphans. are
0: important. Orphans are important to you, know?
1: oh, aren't yeah. they? Uh, well, our family sort yeah. of specialises yeah. in them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. your dad yeah. was your yeah. dad was an orphan. It's, it's yeah. an extraordinary
0: story that uh, there were six of them in the room.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can, yeah. You, can you tell us it? Well, my father was at that time. He was about three, I think or was he one and a half, I've forgotten, but he was one of six siblings found with a dead mother uh, in a Kilburnie flat. Uh, she had died of hydatids, quite, quite a common death in those days. Um, and so they were all farmed off to the orphanage on Tinukori Road. And then some of them sort of, there were two lots of twins and there was one girl who was blind uh, and she ended up in Australia somewhere. Um, And Dad uh, was just passed through a series of foster homes until, at the age of 12, he was working. Um, My my mother has a similar story. Really, she was given away when she was four by her mother. Yeah, yeah, Uh, and given to a couple who had lost their kids recently to diphtheria. But the interesting thing about this is, you would think that this would be something that my parents might have spoken about, but they never did. Never. And there was never any, I can't remember, and it's, you know, you'd think I would have asked the question, but I didn't. But I don't recall my father ever talking about his school days, uh, being a child, uh, where he lived. My mother certainly didn't, you know. So, history of silence is really a, a, about that. There is no history.
0: And, and this is a, it's a really interesting theme. Now that I've discovered in your work, I see it recur. Over and over, in, in small and gentle ways, and sometimes I don't even think they're explicit. But uh, history silence. my bedroom at twenty Stellen Street used to belong to my brother, but I can't find any trace of him there. Mm. He's seventeen years older than me, mm. mm. and yeah. so the question is, what sort of trace did you want? But then there's the bigger, sort of metaphysical question: is what sort of trace does any of us leave?
1: Sixpences. I <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. And they're beautiful, in the, the absence of photos of your parents as children—no history, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the
1: strangers—no history. That's right, but it feels all ine- inevitable and normal because the, the world that you, you sort of emerge into does feel. Like w- what other is, world is there? You know, there's nothing to compare to. You know, um, look, people often say that um, all my books are different, but they're not really. No, they're, they're, they're all yeah, about identity. Yeah, they are. Mm. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's this sort of hidden reef. That's, that's in me. And so you, you think, well, why am I drawn to this particular subject? In the end, it's that. Well, this, where does Matilda go in London? Where does Matilda yeah. go? She yeah. has the Orphans Museum, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. Because <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I often walk the landscape of my stories just to make sure and, and often, too, um, it'll throw up something. Um, but she's interested in Dickens because the author was interested in Dickens. That's how these things actually are knit together. Right? Mm.
0: And why is an identity, why is identity an important thing? Obviously, that, that, that is a striking background to have had. A, a dad orphaned in those circumstances a mum put up for adoption when she was four. But, 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 but there's something else that would be... Because fundamentally, if I, if I look at the stories of your childhood, once you were sentient, that, it's actually a happy
1: child. Oh, yes. I mean, those oh, trips oh. to the Lower Hutt Library with mm. your mum sounded mm. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just me claiming some education. Um. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, it was. The, the Lower Hutt Library was, was a magnificent place. It was the biggest building in the hut, and you felt like you were entering some Athenian space, these big columns and these big murals, and there was something grand and elevated about it, and the place smelt of virtue, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, and I'd sort of go to one end of the library, my mother would go to the other, and I'd get my two books and I'd walk past all through the library. It seemed like an enormous place, you know, Soviet-like. And I felt like well, I was walking past my future reading to some extent. It was that sort of yes. sense. yeah. Well, because, I, because I remember it not that well. But I remember there
0: were, there were rather kind of almost socialist realism style murals of workers. Yeah, that's That's true, isn't it? I did that Yeah,
1: the new Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, yeah. Civic leaders looking yeah. wistfully up to the, this, where the sun was setting and heroic labourers and nurses and builders <laughs> in the rubble. Very empowering to be part of this, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but the funny thing about growing up in a place that was brand new, I never thought—I never knew it was brand new. I never knew that the concrete had just set 10 years earlier. Um, it felt like it was 1,000 years old, yes. you know? Um, yeah, and, 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 of course, one doesn't look back if you're not taught to look back. You don't. You know, progress is all about sort of... You know the teeth of progress. You're going forward all the time. You're not looking back.
0: Is is that an immigrant thing? I just want this a lovely quote. I quiet. think so. Yeah. yeah. So, so because Marty looked
1: back. Yep. 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 They've taught us to look back. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I and I think it's happening more and more. I don't think my story is exclusive to our family. I, I think it's a broad Parkia story, actually.
0: Yeah.
1: Willful forgetting, I think. And I think um, you know. Um, well, oh, that's where the story sort of dovetails with the whole Christchurch experience of the earthquakes. Yeah. Not really taking stock of where you are, willfully forgetting the fact that you're actually living on a seismic belt here um, and on, a, on, a, on land that was drained. It was a swamp. So we shouldn't have been surprised by all well, the liquefaction or all, all that sort of thing. We weren't surprised until we were. You came down five weeks after earthquakes, mm, didn't you? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was extraordinary, actually. Um, i never forget leaving the airport and seeing army trucks. Sort of, a, str- you know, outside of Waiuru, to see army trucks is a worrying and, and a symptom of something, some terrible thing, you know. And, of course, Hagley Park was... Well, every, you know what it was like. Everybody knows what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. I am... Um I, 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 forgive me, but
0: I, I, I've, never told, I've never told anyone this b- before. Mm-hmm. But You're I, responsible for the airport. No, right? <laughs> no, no, no. no, but uh, it happened and, and I just went straight to the airport and I don't know what plane we got on, but it landed at Timaru by that, and, and by that stage everyone was busy working and no one briefed me. And so Mike Robertson mm-hmm. and I came down, landed at Timaru, got, got, I don't know what car we got, I don't know, we ended up in Christchurch. But By the time I arrived here it was about 9 or 10 o'clock at night, someone said go to the CTV building. Mm-hmm. And I, so I went straight to the CTV building, but I'd had no briefing. Mm. By that stage, cell phone towers were down and there was no conversation taking place. I turned up in the CTV building and I saw the building, just with, that, with the man on the phone, mm. walking around. You know, we were obviously getting those shots. And I thought, wow, it's so good all the people got out. Because mm. mm. no one had told mm. me they had it. Mm. And we didn't know how many people were in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everyone had the experience of comprehending in their own, if you were here, You comprehended immediately. If you were in the rest of the country, you comprehended slowly through the media coverage. You comprehended five weeks after the fact when you came here.
1: And the stop take was so personal for people, wasn't Mm, it? It was. I wonder if it was more so for Wellingtonians, actually. It was like Canterbury taking a shot for us, you know, because we're so... Thank you. you. But, well, but, yeah, it's true uh, though, in Wellington uh, you've, yeah, you have earthquake yeah.
0: drills all the time, all, all the, all your the time.
1: All the time, yeah. And I'm not quite sure that that was the experience of Aucklanders. In fact, I suspect it wasn't. Yeah, I remember actually Kate DeColdy telling me that she was at a dinner up there and she was sitting next to a merchant banker. And it was a, he was a very nice fellow, very affable. And he asked her where she was from originally, and she said Christchurch, the earthquake came up. He said, well, we're only interested in Christchurch for what sort of investment it will offer us in the future. Uh, and I, it's, a, it's an extraordinarily cold-blooded sort of attitude. To have. Wow, what yeah. an him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he probably, yes, he was. <laughs> yes, yes,
0: he was. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I've done with my notes here, but there was a thing, and I'm desperate to find it now, uh, but I'm not going to. It was a quote about a, a being an orphan and an immigrant is, 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 is in, in many respects the same thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Can, I, I wonder, it's, I want to take some questions, but I, I know that you've got a passage you'd like to read for us.
1: Yeah. Can, is that OK? Yeah. yeah. Can you tolerate, say, eight minutes? What a nice yeah. lot of people. <laughs> if anyone gets up and walks or yawns or does anything like that, I'm out of here. What? So where's this from, Lloyd? What part of the book is it? Oh, right. Um, Jesus. Um, well, it's, it's okay. So the broad, the broad picture is two strangers arrive in this, in this town, uh, they're taken up in this hotel. They, they're never referred to as refugees. Um, they can't account for what has happened to them because the language, they can't find a language to describe the nature of the catastrophe. They're asked about the place they come from, and they say, well, that place doesn't exist anymore. So there's a sort of a linguistic sort of problem at the heart of this. Um, so the hotelier decides, well, if language won't do the trick, perhaps we'll give them some materials that, that they can make something. Um, uh, illustrate their conundrum by building something out of it. And so they do. They're given some number eight wire and they, and they build something that's called the thing. It, it, it lacks all the usual sort of geometric properties, but it looks a bit like a cage. Then the hotelier thinks, well, if we scale this thing up, people will be able to enter it and actually understand the experience of the strangers. And by some means or other, the strangers actually end up in this thing called the cage. So, um, and then the trust is established to, to monitor them and, and so on. And the narrator in the book is living in the basement. His task is to observe them and pass on his observations to the, um, to the trust. At a certain point, um, they decide they will clad it in stone, and we'll, they'll call that a memorial, and it'll be up to the strangers to come up with a text. The text will describe what they're commemorating, because they don't actually know. This is the trick. And once they come up with that text, well, maybe they'll get out or not. So, stone. Stone cannot look back or look ahead, but it does collect the heat of the day, which is why at night the strangers have taken to snuggling up against the far side of the cage, where the wall, so far, is at its highest. They watch me work and look amused. What are you building? asked Doctor. Mole beside him. They've actually named, because they don't have names, they've named the one doctor and the other one Mole. I've kept my distance ever since the night the strangers heard me sobbing. They would want to know the reason for it, and quite honestly, I would not know what to say. And that other phrase Mole used, you are not like them. I don't want to think about it or know what he meant. I carry on, sweat dripping onto the stone. The work is methodical and repetitive. But there is the satisfaction of seeing progress made with every stone I place. And the faster, the better. As soon as the memorial is finished, it will be up to the strangers to solve the problem they have created for themselves. Then, they can get on their way again. As the stone wall rises, the world rolls on, but without the strangers. Victor Victor is the kitchen hand, I named him after Victor, Orban by the way. Victor pushes corn cobs through the feeding hole. They do not move. The woman in the hat, asks Doctor. Victor turns away and hurries back to the hotel with the slops pail. Out in the street, children roar and shriek. Dusk smells of wood smoke. Cars passing the hotel, slow to stare. Outside the shops, across the road from the hotel, I often catch a face caught in a blaze of gossip. Nobodies, says my uncle. He resents them all. Everyone is an expert until they're asked to get involved. In the street, people I don't know look at me, then they look away. Some visitors of late have commented on the haunted appearance of the strangers, but that is not a criticism, since their observation meets their expectations. A haunted appearance is what might be expected from the survivors of a catastrophe. Their clothes add to the effect. Trousers that are too short on Mole, the shirt on Dr. Balloons, but he is made pigeon chested by the dusty suit jacket. The visitors go on staring, unaware of their faces settling into judgment. They, the strangers, are not like them. An elderly woman in a woolen hat turned up one day last week. She insisted she knew them. She said she had been clipping a hedge when the strangers passed. Every morning, She visits the backyard to count the eyes, mouths and ears of the strangers. She shouts at the doctor to remove his moccasin. She wants to count his toes. Then she starts over. She has dementia. Pattern behaviour is essential to her. She is never satisfied with what she has seen the day before. She needs to see it again and again. The strangers are used to her. They have dealt with officials. They know her kind. They say, what do the zoo animals think about all day long? What they have lost? The forest has gone. The great jungle has been bulldozed. Giant trees lie abandoned like toothpicks. The parrot may remember what no longer exists. It squawks to birds that are extinct. Its eye shifts in response to a vanished canopy. Without the enormous trees to catch it, the mist evaporates, the waterways diminish, the clouds race on, the parrot's eye rolls and rolls and nothing catches. Darkness arrives, lights appear in the outside world. They must wonder if they will ever step another foot in it. There are noises from the hotel that mark the shift of activity from morning to afternoon to night. It is like listening into lives that were once their own. Doctor sits on the log with his head hanging low. His circling fingers are searching for new entanglement, new expression. Or are his fingers clutching at what is lost? Um, How are we doing for time, John? Good. Yeah? Can you tolerate one more minute? Yeah. Okay. If the strangers truly cared, they would make more of an effort. The observation won't go away and takes us easily to the next thought. Why do they wish us harm? Around the table, the trustees revert to their innocent private selves. They turn back into ordinary men of trade, an engineer, a fruiterer, a casual hobbyists. They mean no harm. There is no place on the agenda for their feelings, and that leads them deeper into their wounded selves. <laughs> there has been a request for raspberry jam, I note, and look up, ready to be advised. No. Their decision is unanimous. I begin to explain that Doctor's sweet tooth is limited to raspberry jam. Mole will eat anything. But I'm interrupted by the chair, who is surprised to hear me try and change their minds. He wishes to remind me that the trust has reached its decision. However, it is not their job to explain to Doctor that his request has been declined. It is not their job to disappoint. I wait wait until after breakfast. A time when doctor is at his most optimistic. Perhaps the woman in the hat will turn up today. As soon as I tell him, the light in him fades and his mouth drops. It makes no sense unless the trust's denial is to make him bitter. Why else would they deny him raspberry jam? I cannot say. My job is to be a pane of glass for the trustees and strangers to meet on either side. I could steal some jam for Doctor, but how would he conceal it inside the cage? And upon its inevitable discovery, the trustees would ask, how did jam get inside the cage? Would you like me to play the Mendelssohn? Doctor glances up. His mind surges past me. The jam has put him into an agitated state. Yes, yes, he says, that would be nice. Thank you. He places his hand over his heart, And I think he is going to say it. You are not like them. But to my relief, he nods, thank you. It is black out there in the backyard. The shadows are so dense, the strangers can't be told apart. But then one lashes out. That'll be Mole, contact with the cage wall, pulls him from his dream and he starts bellowing. They are trapped, there is no way out. They are locked in. I pick up my clarinet and play softly. Eventually, a stillness settles over the cage, and the strangers slip from view. They have lain down on the ground to sleep. In the morning, all that is forgotten. Mole's nightmare, and my good deed, blasted out of the backyard by the early morning sun and clear skies. Look, a new day, new prospects. The woman in the hat, they ask, is there any news? Their new questions concern procedure. Why haven't they been processed and put into the correct category? And why is it impossible for anyone to see that, but for the cage, they would be just like anyone else? Mm -hmm. But who looks like they do, unshaven, dressed in rags, stinking of shit? Who grovels like they do? Who cannot say where he is from? The woman in the hat? It, it, I don't know. I'm um, puzzled about that
0: too. I wondered um, uh, yeah. I wondered if she was the UN after yeah, Srebrenica yeah. in Rwanda.
1: I wondered if she, her, not, her, her failing to show when she was so desperately needed. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's an NGO, it's a UN person, somebody from an, an agency that, you know. And, and in fact, he asks himself, who is this person? And figment of their imagination, have they heard something? I think. I think when people are in a desperate situation, they do create some mythic um, possibility, some mythic hope for themselves. Except she arrives. Yes, but yeah. Who? Yeah. Mm. Well, you you're know? the bloody author. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually a, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine asked if I'd come and speak to um, her students that studied Mr. Pip. What age? Uh, seventh form. Yeah, yeah. And they were bitterly disappointed. And when I arrived there, they were sitting there with their pens at the ready, hoping for answers. <laughs> and, yeah. That's the point, isn't it? There aren't any. There aren't any. No, well, I said the answer is them. You told me. I remember in London I was doing this book signing and this, this uh, young girl with a mother, Julie, arrived and I signed a book and she said to me, oh. Do you think, did, does Matilda go back to the island? And I thought, what do you think? Does she? <laughs> you tell me, you know? And, and she was sort of puzzled, and then she smiled, and she said, yes. <laughs> so,
0: Isn't uh, it, is, is it funny?
1: Who, who, who in this
0: room wondered if Matilda went back to the island? I, every, I, I, I reckon many of us did. And I, I, there's no doubt in my mind she would have. Mm. Yeah, I'm inclined
1: to think that's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the sequel back to the island <laughs> um, it's so lovely being in your company and I, I, there's a lovely interview you did with Philip Matthews When, when, when gosh he's good Philip Matthews he's a, he, he's, you have him in Christchurch with the press he, is, he writes about literature uh, I mean he's a fantastic journalist but gosh he writes beautifully about literature mm. but he did a fantastic interview with you as Mr. Pitt was taking off and you were being, you know, going everywhere and there was a sense of this great sense of this book going from territory to territory, and new co- contracts and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and that the quid pro quo for you would, would, would be that you would have to do the circuit, that mm. you would have to become a kind of celebrity author. Mm. Mm. And, 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 and I'm gonna try and find the quote, everyone. I don't know what I've done with my pages and I unreservedly apologise to those of you who like more order from your hosts. Um, I know that one has a responsibility to the publisher to get out there and talk about the book, but the publicity trail has never been something I've particularly enjoyed. Some enjoy it, some don't. I'm one of those who doesn't. The whole performance aspect is something I don't like. It's not that I'm not good at it, it's that I don't want to be good at it. It's not why I write. The writing is the performance. Gee, that's good. It's bloody good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, bloody, yeah. it's bloody good. And there's a and there's a. But Frank, someone asked Frank O'Hara to explain one of his poems, and he said, "It's all there in the poem." Yeah, yeah, and
1: yeah. that
0: and that's how writers feel, isn't it? And yet, yeah. y- you are very good at talking about it.
1: Well, thank you. Um, I don't really think that I am, because what you don't know is what afterwards. I think I should have said, of course, you know. Um, but it is a very, very difficult thing. Um, to talk about, particularly to talk about a novel without talking about plot details and, and all that sort of thing. It doesn't interest me really, plot. I'm more interested, I'd rather talk about other people's writing actually. I'd be, I'd be perfectly content to stand up here for an hour and talk about Rachel Cusk, for example. Um, Why
0: Rachel Cusk? What, 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 oh, because I
1: just happened to read Kudos, which is, a, is the final part of the trilogy, it's magnificent, yeah. Uh, let's. Um, is there, are there questions from the floor? Are
0: there? Are there? Uh, it would be really lovely. I don't think we need to worry about miking people and stuff. Is it? Is that? Is that a? Sorry, I'm because there's a light shining in our face. Just shout it out. Oh, you got the mic. <laughs> um, it would be really lovely. I think. Yes. Go. You good? And say and say your first name so we can talk back to you.
1: Yeah,
0: Ruth. Ruth. Um, Hello, Ruth.
1: Um, I was really interested in sport because it, this character fits through uh, almost like two worlds and is the person who reads, um, who plays music, who is already also broken in on by the loss of his parents. And so this is a very different kind of a person. And the other characters, none of them read, they're kind of morons. And um, and I, I think the fragility of having this one person, though, is, is, is always a risk. You know, you feel for this person who, um, who sees so much and is so, also so vulnerable. And uh, I, I think it, and the ending is just so brilliant because he, he too survives. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could talk about this character. Oh. Uh, uh,
0: uh, and, and actually, for the excerpt you read from, where they keep saying, Dr Mole keeps saying to him,
1: you're not, you're like, not,
0: them. You're not like them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a bit in, the, in, in there relatively early on where, where, where he's saying, oh, please don't both go at me saying you're not like them. You know uh, how they take yeah. turns yeah. and saying to him? Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, 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 and that's your point, Ruth, that he's not like them. And, well, and yeah. yet, in a way, he, do, he, he does... He does their work. He does their work. Mm-hmm. He do not take the raspberry mm-hmm. jam in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he—he is. Funnily, you should mention orphans. He's an orphan. Yeah, he is. Um, so he—he he doesn't have any. Um, his past is not. Re- At one point, he does go back, doesn't he? He visits the house, and there are new people in there, and he realises there's no way back, and so he's forced to go back and live that life in the hotel. But he's a sort of an outsider, which is the perfect place to be. It's what we writers tend to be on the edge of things anyway, and as he is a witness and observer he needs to be in this, in this space. He can't be embedded within the trustees. Quite clearly, he can't be in the cage, but he's somewhere in space in between, yeah. which is where a writer is. What made you make him an orphan? I don't know, some, I honestly can't even answer that question because yeah. when I write, it's, it's very much from a, I've closed my eyes and sort of sinking into some sort of subconscious part. It's coming out of there, really. It's not, I haven't arrived at it very deliberately. I know what, I'll make this guy an orphan. It just happens, yeah. Ruth's point's it's a really good one, isn't it? At what stage are we complicit?
0: Mm. At, at, at what stage? And, and if we go to Zura, or if we go to the people in Budapest, at what stage are we absolved, excused, forgiven, not speaking out?
1: We, we are complicit the moment we know once you know something, there's, there's no way of unknowing it. Um, you can, we're expert at looking the other way, we're expert at finding reasons why we shouldn't involve ourselves, but we're, as soon as you know something, you are complicit. If you do nothing, you're still complicit. Yeah. Which is why in Australia they, they're having so much difficulty grappling with this refugee thing because it is, you know, it's one thing for, for the government to behave in an appalling way, but the, the government actually isn't looking at the impact of their decisions on the morale of these people of, of its own people who actually know, you know. They, they are looking at the same circumstances that the government are and in most instances feel differently about it and would like a different a different outcome.
0: And, and, and when you talk to Australians about this, not all Australians, but many, they will say to you, yes it's terrible, but gee, what do we do? Yeah. You know, what say thousands of boats come, what do we do? Of course these are the same people who, well not the same people, but in 1790 wasn't Australia described as terra nullius? Yes, that's right. I mean that's yeah. one of the most yeah. disgraceful. Yeah. So, the, and, we, and we have it in New Zealand, don't we, that we have a situation where people say, oh, bloody immigrants, and then the same people will say, Maori should just bloody get over it, Jesus, the treaty. I mean, we just can't, then we can't hold those positions simultaneously, can we?
1: Well, we can. I, I, I think one of the interesting things about New Zealand is that we can understand the whole Maori dimension, the, the moment the Pakeha world has this conversation with itself, it's the initial step, I think, it has to understand how, how we arrived here, and under what, which circumstances, before we have that conversation, probably with Mary, and, I think we 've done that I don 't think they 've done that in Australia, and that 's why they have find it so difficult to grapple with a, this bilateral conversation that Aborigines are demanding. Uh, I think the whites need to have that conversation with themselves first. but look, there are more. There were other situations. You did a great program on that, um, the, the, uh, the, the housing crisis, all those people in South Auckland. That was shocking to hear. And there was one instance, I think, there was a, a person in a wheelchair. Mm. A person in a wheelchair. I felt dirty hearing this, you know, and I felt... You know, you're listening to this and you think, this is in my country. How on earth could we allow this to happen? And it's a
0: disgrace. It's a disgrace. Yeah. And to get to South Auckland from central Auckland, you have to drive past Remuera. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And as a crow flies, it's about 10K, 15K. Mm. And, we, and we choose different not worlds. to know yeah. different worlds. Yeah. We've got about five minutes left. Are there any questions? Oh, yes, thank you. Up the back. I, and a and, and, uh, first name. Yeah, good day, I'm Jeff. Um, <coughs> I don't know anything about the book. I've, I've read a lot of your work. It sounds like some sort of macabre PlayStation game. You know, <laughs>
1: it's just—it's just mind-boggling. What I want to know is, did you go there to research a, a book that you knew
0: you were going to write, or did you go to Budapest and it just happened?
1: Yeah. I, I thanks, Jeff. Um, PlayStation. I've never played it, so. <laughs> uh, I I, I, I was working on another book, actually, one that's preoccupied me for about four or five years now. And and I went to Budapest for a holiday, actually, to meet my daughter there. And um, the moment I arrived, any thought of a holiday just went completely out the window. We spent the rest of the time doing whatever we could to help these people. Um, um, And this book is written out of a sort of. You know, when you, when you write uh, as many books as I've written, you don't want to just turn the wheel over. You want it to mean something, and it's written out of in, indignation, you know. Um, and certain things kind of find each other. I was living in Berlin at the time, and uh, the zoo in the middle of the city is a sort of a surprising kind of savannah. It's a strange sort of a situation. And I used to go there just, you know, for some peace and quiet, with the apes and the baboons and so on. Uh, but it's funny how these two things in, in, eventually found each other. And I can remember at Coletti um, Station, um, I got really upset with these the, this, these young Germans. They put a drone in the air, above, above these people, and, uh, and I, I said, what the hell do you think you're doing? They're not animals, you know? So already I'm kind of and wasn't so fair, your daughter working at a refugee camp? Yeah, yeah. Where they had yeah. a
0: sign saying, We're not animals? They
1: had it. Then, the, then my daughter was in this refugee camp in Greece, and then she sent me this photograph of where they had a, a sign on the fence saying, We are not animals. But they were, and they were treated as animals. Yeah. And, 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 and they still and, are. And then, when they're treated
0: as animals, and their clothes are tatty, and they stink of shit, and we and say, horses. "Look at them! They clothes yeah. are tatty, exactly. and they stink of shit." Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. extraordinary at the end where the stranger wanders off. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert. And uh, yeah. he's he's still in those clothes. Mm. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, 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 while we while we can I just uh, allow you to be a proud dad. I work with one of Lloyd's children, Sophia, and I, I, uh, she's a fine young journalist, and I. I I think she's going to become a really outstanding journalist. Mm. I think, yeah, she's a, a very decent, empathetic, she's hard She's a decent to person. Yeah, yeah, she's a lovely, mm. lovely soul. And also, this isn't your boy, is it? Oh, yeah, he is. Has he is. anyone read this? Sam Duck or Jones? Yeah. How bloody good is it? Yeah. yeah. Holy shit, the fruit doesn't yeah. fall too far
1: from the tree, uh, does it, I Lord? should have drowned him at birth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's another one, actually. His, his, his younger brother has a book coming out um, next month. Yeah, so three of us, well, you know, unusual, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> it won't happen again.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've yeah. got time for one last question, then it's a, yes, please, thank you. Um, here comes a mic so we can all hear you. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, okay, so we'll do two, two quick questions.
1: My name's David. Why is it that you don't want to be really good at this speaking? Because where I'm coming from is I can listen to you well and sound Kim Hill, there is something I'd like to see, even once in my life, close up. There's something different, so why don't you want to do that occasionally, and enjoy it? <laughs> Probably for that reason. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I believe it or not, um, I was a very, very shy um, person. And one of the appealing things about writing is you could stay in your cave and send the books out, which you did in those days. And then suddenly um, that wasn't enough, you had to be dragged out screaming into the bright lights, cameras and, and, and so on. And, and when, I was, when I was a kid I wasn't very good at speaking, I had a, probably some sort of speech problem and, um, and so I've never been a particularly confident speaker. And I am probably sound confident right now um, because we're warmed up and everything's nice and thanks to John here, but I do find it quite difficult. I mean. I, it's not a, just a case of acquitting myself in a reasonable way. It's the anxiety beforehand, <laughs> it's not worth it.
0: <laughs> I think you've been fantastic. And one last question there, thank you. Thank you, um, and thank you for such an interesting uh, hour. It's been fantastic. Could you tell me, are you optimistic about humanity?
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, We. I mean, <laughs> look, of course, I mean, as people, we know it in ourselves, we're capable of doing wonderful things. Every one of us, every one of us in this room has probably done something we're not particularly proud of. On the other hand, we've also done something where we've surprised ourselves. So that's humanity, that's what we do. But I I still think, you know, You you do have to have something in the air, some set of core values that are repeated over and over and over again to make sure we all, because we do, conform to these decent sort of values. Um, And you look what's happening in Trump's America, because he made it possible, the noise he made, the atmosphere he created has brought all these ghastly people to the surface, the alt-right and all that sort of thing. So the, 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 the kind of tone you said, I always feel this is a very, very important thing. I think Obama's legacy is tone, the tone that he created in that place, you know. And the expectation for young black men, they don't have to hang out in the street corner, they can be bright and erudite like him. Enormous, that legacy. So um, I suppose, yes, I am positive. That's a great note to end on. Great question.
0: Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, thank you for coming, and, and um, uh, uh, Jeff, right, was it Jeff, yeah, I really warmly recommend this book, it's not my, ch- my son plays PlayStation, that's all he does, He's 23 hours a day <laughs> of it, bless him, and it's, it's not the same, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if it was the same, I'd encourage him to play PlayStation as opposed to, same, as opposed to not, um, it's been such a pleasure, and I, 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 I I love your writing because you treat us with respect. So so you invite us in and you say I'm going to do some of the work for you but I'm not going to provide you with the answers and I'm not even sure I know what the answers uh, are and and isn't that the human condition anyway? Mm. And and I feel like that adult contract between you, the writer, and us, the reader, is really uh, reaching its height in this book. and I, 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 the more I return to it, the more I feel like you and I are really talking to each other in here. So I've really enjoyed talking to you today. And, and, and I think uh, it's been a really wonderful hour, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you all for coming, and thank you, Lloyd-John.
1: Thank you. And thank you, John. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I don't think I heard that. <laughs>